Have you ever been in trouble at work? <laughs> uh, I have, lol. But like, has your boss ever called you Satan? Good morning, everyone. Happy Monday. It is Labor Day, September 4th, 2023. Really sorry that we didn't get to spend any time together last Monday. I was traveling over the weekend, and, uh, you know, sometimes you get to it and sometimes you don't. And I think that's a, a beautiful thing <laughs> about my little arrangement now is, yeah, I want to do this. Um, and it's important, obviously, to keep content coming. Um, Bill Gates is the one who coined the phrase, content is king, but as we know, Jesus is king, so uh, he's going to be the one that I'm trying to focus on anyway. So I think, um, yeah, just coming to a place where I'm okay if I don't hit you every single week, if it means I can have some rest, my gosh. Anywho, I'm back. It's good to be with you. I hope you're all enjoying your Labor Day. Whenever you listen to this, I hope your Labor Day was good. Uh, I am enjoying myself immensely. If you follow me on Instagram uh, and you haven't figured it out yet, I am in Washington, D.C. for the semester and uh, loving it. So it's been great to kind of just be out here and uh, finally this weekend, a long weekend, have some time to explore a little bit more. Uh, I went to Mount Vernon the other day, which is awesome. That's a huge goal of mine. Um, one of my favorite books that I've ever read is Ron Chernow's biography of George Washington. Ron Chernow is the guy who wrote the biography of Alexander Hamilton that was used uh, kind of as the basis of the musical Hamilton. And the biography of George Washington is, is one of the really definitive kind of authoritative biographies of that guy. And he was such a cool guy. My gosh. And there's a lot in the book about Mount Vernon, the kind of development of Mount Vernon, George Washington's true love of Mount Vernon. So I was happy to do that. Um, also, this was one of those weeks where I simply bought too many new books. So oopsies. Um, I'm just about finished with that biography of Raniero Cantalamesa, Cardinal Cantalamesa that I told you about in the last podcast. I sort of got busy and didn't finish it. It's not that long. Do you guys ever feel bad like when you have a book that's really not that long and yet it takes you like weeks to finish? Um, Anyway, then I bought Gulliver's Travels at the airport, which I thought was really fitting, but I'm having trouble getting into Jonathan Swift, so if anyone has any tips for that, let me know. And then uh, I was reading an article that mentioned a book by uh, Louis DeWall called The Quiet Light, which is a novel about St. Thomas Aquinas, so that's on the docket. Lately in prayer, I've been picking up this book called The Poetry of St. Therese of Lisieux. Her feast day is in October, so I will do something about her in October. Um, but she keeps coming up. She's she's a good friend of mine, St. Therese, and we had a kind of rough beginning, I would say. But um, anyway, she keeps coming up, and her prayer to the Sacred Heart, or her poem really to the Sacred Heart, is so beautiful. So I've been taking that to prayer, and I finally found a book of the poetry of St. Therese with the French translations also. And then yesterday I bought this book called The Man Who Understood Democracy 
which is a biography of Alexis de Tocqueville. Um, so if in the next 10 years of these podcasts, you hear that I have purchased even one more book without confirming for you all that I've read any of these that I've just mentioned, then I need you to come find me and take my books away. Um, Alexis de Tocqueville is so fascinating because he is, um, yeah, he, he, they call him the man who understood democracy because he made what in the church we might call an apostolic visitation to the United States. And now he wasn't, had nothing to do with the church, but that's basically what it was. He, he was like um, an investigator in a way. He was so curious, what the heck is going on in America? Because the Americans had their revolution, which was to rid themselves of a king. And the French had a revolution. That's where Alexis de Tocqueville is from. The French had a revolution to rid themselves of a king, and yet in the middle of the 19th century, um, the Americans do not have a king still, but the French do uh, again. <laughs> so, like, what are they doing over there? What is democracy, this idea of a republic, a constitutional republic? What What is that? And so he's so valuable because he is um, kind of an outside, impartial view of what is going on in America in the very earliest days of the democracy here. Oh my gosh. Alexis de Tocqueville is like a fascinating guy. Cool cultural commentary there. All right. This week we have the continuation of the Peter saga from last weekend. Last weekend, of course, was Matthew 16, the famous Matthew 16, Caesarea Philippi. Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Right, And that's when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And there's this really beautiful sense that Jesus is letting his disciples in to a certain part of his life and of his ministry um, in a way that's really intentional and beautiful. Now, he still says, and he says he strictly ordered the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ, but he finally is telling them. And that's so important uh, in terms of his mission that he has come to accomplish. Remember that Matthew's gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, the tradition gives to Jesus this really beautiful and really confusing word, autobasileon. Auto basileon means auto in Greek means you know self think automatic or automotive, and basileon means kingdom. You can hear there the word like basilica. Um, basileon means kingdom, and so Jesus is the auto basileon. He's the kingdom himself. So the kingdom of God drawing near is because Jesus himself is drawing near, and so the kingdom comes to fruition the more fully Jesus is known. And so as Jesus reveals himself to his disciples, um, that's a very important thing, especially in the development of Matthew's gospel, but of course, in terms of the whole mission of Jesus. As he reveals himself to his disciples, that is a major turning point because he's letting them in now to a part of uh, his life, who he is. And the more that he's known, the more he can be loved, the more that he's loved, the more they want to know him. That's a beautiful kind of Thomistic approach. Uh, to relationships, but more than anything, um, Jesus is, 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 you can tell there's a turn there. He's becoming more intentional about what the actual mission is that he's been sent by the Father to accomplish, which of course is binding and loosing, um, binding sin and, and loosing hearts. 
really, so that all would know the Father. So one prayer that uh, comes to mind is simply the short prayer that says, Jesus, take me with you to the Father. (laughs) Jesus, take me with you to the Father. Okay. Then this week we have the next part of that gospel. And it's not so rosy. It's not so uh, lovey-dovey and positive as the previous part is. So the last week's gospel was Matthew 16, excuse me, 13 to 20. And this week is Matthew 16, 21 to 27. Keep in mind that the, the Sunday readings, they come as a package deal. I'll save my commentary about the lectionary for some other time because I, I, I don't know. Am I even allowed to have an opinion about the lectionary? I'm not sure. Anyway, I, 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 it frustrates me sometimes. But typically, the first reading from the Old Testament and the Gospel reading are meant to be connected. And so the reading um, this week from the Old Testament is from Jeremiah. And if you've ever listened to um, my homilies, especially homilies from the cathedral and my early days at Saints Peter and Paul, which of course are all available on my website, you will know that I have a great love for Jeremiah, and I love to preach about Jeremiah so much because I relate with him a lot, and I think that he is one of the most beautiful scriptural writers for sure. But his letters or writings are so interesting to me because they're not just prophecy, right? The Lord says to this or the Lord does that, but then it includes commentary from Jeremiah. It's almost like he's he's recording the prophecy of the Lord, of course, because he's a faithful prophet. But then also he gives us like a glimpse into his own spiritual life, into his own reaction to what he's saying or his own um, challenges that he's faced and kind of the interior movements of his heart. And so a lot of really beautiful lines um, come from Jeremiah. And uh, this one certainly is one of the most um, famous, I would say. So the the reading is Jeremiah 20, verses 7 to 9. So it's just those three verses, 7, 8, and 9. Um, but of course, of course, one of my qualms with the lectionary is like, why wouldn't you just keep reading like three more verses or so? Because it, it completely becomes something else when you put it into context. So let's start there. It's important to remember what's happening in Jeremiah 19. Jeremiah 19, which actually happens to be uh, the reading this morning, Monday of the 22nd week in Ordinary Time, uh, in the Office of Readings, so that's perfect. But in Jeremiah 19, you have the image of the potter's flask. And the Lord tells Jeremiah to go and buy a potter's flask a clay flask. Take along the elders of the people and go out of the city toward the valley of Ben-Hinnom at the entrance of the gate, the Potsherd Gate. And then speak these words to them, basically. And this crazy line, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to the elders of the people and of the priests. The Lord says, I am going to bring such evil upon this place that all who hear of it will feel their ears tingle. I'm going to bring such evil upon this place that all who hear of it will feel their ears tingle. Holy moly, what is going to happen? Because remember, the priests, especially at this time, are these kind of like 
they, they are offering worship in the temple, but then Jeremiah talks about how they're going out of the city and they're worshiping to the pagan gods sort of outside the city at the same time. They have hearts which are divided. This is because, Jeremiah says, they have forsaken me and alienated this place by burning in it incense to strange gods, which neither they nor their fathers knew. And the kings of Judah have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built high places for Baal to immolate their sons in fire as holocausts to him. Such a thing as I neither commanded nor spoke of, nor did it ever enter my mind. We love you, Lord. We love you, Yahweh. And God's like, what? Because what you're doing is, is something that I, I've, I've never told you to do it. In fact, I've, I've never even mentioned it. And in fact, I've never even thought of it. And yet here you are doing it. And I'm going to bring such evil upon this place that all those who hear of it will feel their ears tingle because it's so terrible, right? And then the Lord tells Jeremiah to break the flask in the sight of the men who go with him and tell them, thus says the Lord, thus will I smash this people and this city as one smashes a clay pot so that it cannot be repaired. Even in the Old Testament, there is a sense of reparation. There is a sense of you are my people and I am your God and I am calling you away from this difficulty so that I can restore you to what I have given you originally, the land of abundance filled with milk and honey, the place of peace. Your kingdom will be vast. Your dominion will be forever. I will give you a place where you can be at rest and be safe. And here he's saying, I'm so upset. I'm going to smash this people like I'm smashing this flask so that it cannot be repaired. Yikes. Yikes. So Jeremiah is like so courageous all the time. And the people don't like Jeremiah, especially the priests, the people who he's calling out. They don't really like Jeremiah very much. And so one of the priests, the main kind of chief priest of the temple, Apashur, hears Jeremiah prophesying these things, and he has him scourged and put into prison in the city of Jerusalem. And then he releases Jeremiah the next morning, and you would think Jeremiah would be like, all right, see ya. Thank you. Let, let me out. You know, I'm not going to say it anymore. Promise. <laughs> but that's not what Jeremiah does, because he's filled with the word of God, as we will see in the next chapter. And he looks at Pashur, the chief priest of the temple, who has just released him from prison, and he looks him in the eyes and said, Instead of Pashur, the Lord will call you terror on every side. Yikes. Indeed, I will deliver you to terror, says the Lord, you and all your friends. All Judah I will deliver to the king of Babylon. And then this is the huge prophecy, right? Who shall take them captive to Babylon or slay them with the sword? All the wealth of your city, all it has toiled for and holds dear, all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I will give as plunder into the hands of your foes, who shall seize it and carry it away to Babylon. But here is really, really the thing that's making their ears tingle. You, Pashur, and all the members of your household shall go to, into exile. To Babylon you shall go. Babylon, remember, is a place that represents like everything that is antithetical to the Israelite way of life and living, and prayer, and culture. To Babylon you shall go, you and all your friends. There you shall die and be buried, because you have prophesied lies to them. That makes their ears tingle, everyone. You will die outside of the promised land. Yikes! And you have no one to blame but yourselves.
because you've prophesied lies to these people. And then, so that's the end of 19 and into chapter 20. And so that last part there, the, the tingly ear part is Jeremiah 20, verse 6. You've prophesied lies to them. And that's when we get the reading from this weekend, which is so beautiful because you almost can feel Jeremiah say that to Pashur and then take a huge breath. <sighs> and in the quiet of his heart, he says, you duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. All the day, I'm an object of laughter. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I, I must cry out, and but violence and outrage is my message. And your word, God, the word of the Lord has brought me derision and reproach all the day. So he makes this kind of resolution. I say to myself, I will not mention him. I will not speak in his name anymore. But then, this is so beautiful, but then it becomes like fire burning in my heart imprisoned in my bones and I grow weary holding it in. I can't endure it. Jeremiah is like, God, you've duped me. You're leading me into such destruction and mockery. I can't stand it. But at the same time, when I try to hold your words in, when I try to, to keep your name from coming out of my lips, I get weary holding it in. It's like fire burning in my heart and I have to do it. I have to do it. All right. So in the Latin Vulgate, which is St. Jerome's translation of the scriptures, the Latin Vulgate, uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7, you've duped me, O Lord, I've let myself be duped. Um, the word that Jeremiah uses there is seducere, seduco, seduction. You have seduced me, O Lord, and I have let myself be be seduced. Now, don't jump right to the kind of intimate connotations of the word seduce. There are places where that could be applied. If you think about like the prophet Hosea, where God is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seduce these people. I'm going to lure them into the desert. Um, and certainly the language of the Saga Songs. But here, seduxisti me domine, et seductus sum, fortior me fuisti. You have seduced me and I've let myself be seduced. You've been stronger than I. and You have prevailed. Seduxistime. Seduco. Let's break that word down because it's super important. Seduco is two Latin words. The Latin words say or said. Said, remember, means but. <laughs> and by that I mean the conjunction. But, conjunction, junction. What's your function? It's but, B-U-T, and duco means to lead. So actually, um, the word education, educate, is the same word, duco, ducere, ducere, and ex, ducere, means to lead out of. So that's what education is, essentially, is to take mysteries, to take someone who's in darkness and lead them out of it, right? Um, ex umbris et imaginibus in veritatem. That's what Cardinal Newman put on his grave. Out of shadows and images into the truth. That's the mission of education. And that's a totally different podcast. But that's the same word, ducere. So, say ducere, say, said, but. The word, Latin word means um, like a part, 
or away from or astray. So sed ducere, sed duxisti, sed duco, you have led me away or astray, Lord, and I am led astray. You have led me astray, and indeed I find myself in a place where I feel as though I've gone astray. Seduxisti me domine et seductus sum. That's beautiful in itself. And he goes on, right? And he, he goes through what we've just said. He's become the laughing stock to all. People are mocking him, scoffing at him. He makes the vow, I'm not going to speak of your name anymore. And yet, he can't help it. It becomes like a fire within him. And then, if we would keep going into verse 10, for I heard the reproaches of many and terror on every side, right? He just called Pashur terror on every side. Persecute him. Let us persecute him from all the men that were my familiars and continued at my side. If by any means he may be deceived and we may prevail against him and be revenged on him. So he's putting words now into the, to the mouths of his persecutors. But then Jeremiah twenty eleven, the Lord is with me like a mighty champion. Therefore, they that persecute me shall fall and shall be weak. They shall be greatly confounded because they have not understood the everlasting reproach, which shall never be effaced. The Lord is with me like a mighty champion. My persecutors will stumble. They will not triumph. In their failure, they will be put to utter shame, to lasting and unforgettable confusion. Yes, I love that. That is probably one of my favorite lines in the entire uh, scriptures. Jeremiah 20, 11. The Lord is with me like a mighty champion. My persecutors will stumble. They will not triumph. So Jeremiah is 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 reflecting. I mean, this is why he's so beautiful, because he's able to, to give us the words of the Lord that he's called to prophesy. But then also he's able to kind of give us his own heart and his own reflection. And remember, um, Israel is waiting for this kind of redemption. They're waiting for the presence of a Messiah like this, someone who will come and bring an end to all of this, um, somebody who will, will give the final persecution to those who persecute them, the person who will, who will confound the mighty, the person who will give the everlasting reproach, um, which can never be undone, which can never be taken away. And so, in that context, then, we turn to the gospel. So this is a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Or what can one give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in his Father's glory, and then he will repay all according to his conduct. The Gospel of the Lord.
praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The words of the Holy Gospel, may our sins be wiped away. Um, interesting, interesting, interesting. The connection. I'm having a little coffee now. I hope that's okay. By the way, I always encourage you when you're listening to this to get some coffee because you know I'm drinking it while I'm doing this, so we might as well have coffee together. Okay. So, Jesus, of course, we know from our perspective in history, he is the one who comes to redeem Israel. He's the one to give the final blow, the final reproach to those who are proud. He's the one who confounds the mighty and the powerful, um, and they don't understand him. He's the one who delivers the, 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 the end or the, the death blow, I guess, to death itself. And he is just explaining this very kind of calmly and confidently. He's showing his disciples, look, here's what's going to happen. I have to go to Jerusalem. I am going to suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. I will be killed. And on the third day, I will be raised. Now, you want to talk about something that's going to make your ears tingle. (laughs) It's your friend who has just admitted to you that he's God. Um, Now he's saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and the people who are supposed to be on our side more than anybody are not going to notice me or know who I am, and they're going to kill me, and on the third day, I'm going to be raised up. And so Peter, with his tingling ears, says um, to Jesus, but not in front of everyone, he takes Jesus aside. What kind of person takes someone aside? Typically, it would be your boss, or it would be a very trusted person who feels some responsibility for you, perhaps, right? Um, It's not typically going to be a subordinate who takes the boss aside and says, hey, boss, you're crazy. So Peter is already stepping into his role that he had just been given a few verses before. He's taking on his role as uh, this person who uh, has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He's taken on this leadership role, this foundation role of the church. And we, we ask ourselves, right? We blame him a lot that he's just filled with like undiscriminate emotion. And I've said to you before that I really think that that's disrespectful to Peter because I, I, I do think that he's a human, obviously, and he is an emotional person. But what he is saying is not just like, oh, he's so, he needs, he needs some interior integration for himself because he's just out of control all the time. I don't think that's true. So the question that we have to ask ourselves here is, is Peter taking Jesus aside and rebuking him out of raw emotion or out of a new but unrefined sense of duty based on what has happened in the verses just before this. To me, the text saying that Peter is taking Jesus aside um, says that this is a calculated thing, that Peter is doing this in an intentional way and not just as as an explosion of raw emotion. But I don't know. I don't know. What what do you think about that? Let me know. He takes him aside, he rebukes him, and Jesus turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle to me. You are not thinking as God does, but as human beings do. Get behind me, Satan. Satanas. Um, Satan is the great confuser. He's the great adversary. Um, The word in Greek, in fact, means adversary. Um, one who opposes another in purpose or act. And um, remember that orientation is very important in the scriptures. So think about in Luke's gospel where he tells us that Jesus turns and sets his face towards Jerusalem. Um, 
to be having something before you is to have it be present, to have it be real, to have it be part of your consciousness and in the scripture of vision to have something behind you. Um, you know, we often say this, right? All, all that's behind me now. All that's behind me. It, it, it's, it's not that it's not real, but it, it's not present in the same way. It's not oppressing me in the same way. It's something that's different, right? And I don't have to worry about it anymore. So um, get, get out of my consciousness, Peter. You're not thinking as God does, but as human beings do. And, and you're, you're, you're opposing me in my purpose. You're opposing me. In some ways, you can say you're taking what I'm saying and you're, you're going away with it. You're seducereing it. You're going away. And that's really hard, I'm sure, for, for Peter to hear. You thought his ears were tingling before, but now he's saying, to the one, Jesus just gave him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus just told him, your faith will be the one on which the, the, the church is built. And now, what, like five verses later, Jesus is saying, you are the obstacle to my mission. You are the seducer of my mission, the confuser and divider of my mission. You are not thinking as God does, but as human beings do. Yikes! That's got to be difficult for Peter to hear. But put it again in the context of Jeremiah. We know from the Old Testament, and Peter would have known this, Jesus knows this too, obviously, but Peter would have known this, that all these places in the Psalms, in the Old Testament, where it talks about God kind of... um, reproaching the ones that he loves. Only those that he loves does he actually reproach. And he understands that there will be an everlasting reproach. And Jeremiah 20, verse 12, Thou, O Lord of hosts, prover of the just, who sees the reins and the heart, let me see. I beseech you, your vengeance on them. For to you I have laid open my cause. So Peter is not crazy. Peter is not an indiscriminate, wild man who just says whatever he wants. And that's what people want to say about him because it's easier to preach that way. It's easier for us to relate with him and to say, oh, yeah, I'm like that too. (laughs) I'm like that too. And I say things I shouldn't say and I do things I shouldn't do. And that's true, obviously. And We feel more relationship with Peter and it's easier for priests and people to preach about that because we can, that's, that's kind of an easy way out. But I think that if you really look at that there, that is a beautiful experience of Peter figuring something very important out about what he has been called to do. Number one, that he is um, part of something that he doesn't completely understand. And if you're doing something in the church and you think you completely understand what you're doing, then you need to take a step back because you never do. We will never fully understand what we are doing because it's not ever, ever going to be fully our mission. It's not ever going to be fully our idea, fully our mission. It's always cooperation with the vision of someone else, of God, of course, through his son Jesus, who is perfectly obedient to the will of the Father. 
and is the one who is going to accomplish everything through us. He is the one who will deliver the final reproach um, to these people who mock and uh, lead others astray from the ways of God. That's number one. Number two is something that every leader needs to understand, which is sometimes your gut is absolutely correct. Sometimes your gut is absolutely correct. And sometimes your gut is absolutely incorrect. (laughs) Sometimes your gut reaction is simply not going to lead you to the correct place. But either way, if you are open, you will grow. Either way, if you are open, you will grow. Because the Lord of hosts is the prover of the just, says Jeremiah. Probater uisti. He's the prover of the just, and he sees the heart. So either way, you make a mistake in leadership. We all make mistakes in leadership. And the only way you will not grow, and if the people who follow you are respectful of you, if they have great respect for you, they will follow you perhaps even greater if you make a mistake or you do something out of your gut and it ends up not being correct, but they see that you did it from a place of love for them and of sincerity for them. But the greatest lesson, I think, is what all of this is going to cost. Because it sounds great. I mean, I think about my days of being ordained a priest and you, you know, you become a priest and everybody's happy for you and is like loving you and, you know, there's a big party for you and all this stuff. Okay, great. Um, and you spend eight years or seven years, in my case, discerning it and praying about it and going through seminary and learning and getting all these degrees, blah, blah, blah. But there comes a time in every priest's life, and it's never just one time, but there comes a time in every priest's life, because it's the time that comes, I guess, in every disciple's life, where you have to face this reality, whether you want to or not. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's the risk. That's the risk of Christianity. Because what is our main goal? What is the goal of our culture? What is the unspoken rule? The unspoken rule, and this is part of humanity too, being animals that we are. Defend yourself protect yourself, survive at all costs. And Jesus is saying, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. And that is the beautiful thing about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is like, I don't want to do this. (laughs) I don't want to do this. I, I am tired of crying out against iniquity. I am tired of being mocked. I am tired of being persecuted and thrown into prison and beat up by these priests. And so I'm not going to do this anymore. And then there's a fire which burns in his heart, which he didn't light. The Spirit of God lit it. It becomes, He doesn't just say it's in my heart. It becomes shut up in my bones. And he gets wearied holding it in. That's the thing. That's the thing. You will have a time where you say, I don't want to do this anymore. This is very difficult. I don't want to die. I don't want to give up my life. I don't want to lose this pleasure or wealth or power or honor or worldly good. I don't want to do it. And Jesus is saying, I get it. I get it. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, he shows that there's a human side where he says, I'm not sure that I really want to do it either. But whatever the Father is asking, that is what will lead us to life. That is what will lead us to life. That is where the Israelites go astray. The people of Israel go astray. That's where you and I go astray, is that we don't believe God when he says that his way will bring us to life. And every time we go against it, we find death. And in the thickness of our skulls, we have a very hard time getting that through our minds, understanding it. It makes our ears tingle, the idea that God can bring us life, and if we're faithful to him, we will have life. And if we are unfaithful to him, we will have death. And that's not because he's punishing us. It's not because he's mad at us. It's not because he's out to get us. That's simply the way it goes. Actions have consequences. And if you choose death, you will reap death. <laughs> and if you choose life, you'll reap life. God is not mocked. God is never mocked. You will reap what you sow. And that's so, so crucial. And Peter is learning that. The disciples are learning that. Uh, Jeremiah was learning that, trying to teach it to the people who are ignoring God and wouldn't listen to him. But the Son of Man will come and repay all according to his conduct. So the question I guess I'll just leave with you is this. Matthew 16, verse 26. What can one give in exchange for his life? There's value to a life. There's value to your life, even of your life, yes, and my life. There's value. And what profit would there be for you to gain everything you've ever wanted in this life and to pay for it by giving it all away at the end, by giving away your life, the thing of great value? But to give it away first and then to reap true riches, even in this life, because the kingdom of, of God is here, the autobasileon is here, that's, that's the Christian turn of phrase. Don't get everything you ever wanted and then pay for it with your life, but rather give away your life first, learn the ways of God, and experience the truth of the life that he wants to give to you now, even in this life, and of course fully in the next, and then get everything besides. That's the hundredfold. Anyway, I had wanted to talk a lot about the the devil today, but I guess the Lord led me away from that. So one of these times I'll do a special podcast on Satan, especially in literature, Milton's Paradise Lost and Dante's Divine Comedy. I really wanted to talk about that today, but we've gone on long enough. I hope you all are doing well. Please keep praying for me. Please know of my prayers for you. And if you have someone who you think would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to send it to them uh, and encourage them to subscribe. Uh, to the, the weekly emails, ryanadorsion.com slash subscribe. And uh, I will look forward to hearing from you. And uh, I won't be skipping too many more weeks in the future, but thanks for bearing with me there. Have a good day. Happy Labor Day. Bye-bye. <laughs>